Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're talking about UFO black boxes. That's correct, UFO black boxes. Now, specifically, we're talking about a former Harvard physicist, Avi Loeb's uh, trip down to New Guinea, where he thinks a UFO may have crashed into the Pacific Ocean off the coast of that uh, island nation. Uh, he's looking for uh, evidence of a UFO. It looks like he may have found some small, tiny part. Uh, so far, no UFO black box, like the one we think might have been involved in the UFO crashes the military supposedly has recovered. But I want to take a look at this subject and see if this might not be the key that unlocks a, a big part of this mystery. Now, it's important to go back and look at a little bit of the background of this uh, most recent, uh, really uh, groundbreaking search that Loeb's done there off in New Guinea. Back in March of this year, 2023, he reported that he planned to do this. And there's a pretty good article. Let's look at some of the highlights here. And this is from TheGuardian.com. And I'll go ahead and I'll put the links up on the Buy Me A Coffee website. As always, thanks to the people that show the support there. It says, Harvard physicist plans expedition to find alien artifact that fell from space. Avi Loeb organizing a $1.5 million search to Papua New Guinea to look for an interstellar object that crashed into the ocean in 2014. So, wow, this happened nine years ago, and they're just now getting around to search for it. But, you know, best of luck. A prominent Harvard physicist is planning a Pacific expedition to find what he thinks might be an alien artifact that smashed into the ocean. Avi Loeb announced that he is organizing a $1.5 million ocean expedition to Papua New Guinea to look for fragments of an object that crashed off the coast of the Manus Island in 2014. Loeb noticed the object in 2019 and identified it as the first interstellar meteor ever discovered, meaning it originated outside our solar system. According to Loeb, the meteor's interstellar origin was confirmed to NASA in April 2022 by the Department of Defense's Space Command. So it kind of shows you how slow this stuff moves. I mean, I suppose there's so much data coming in with these, uh, this just a normal uh, number of objects that enter the Earth's atmosphere every day. This thing came in 2014. He doesn't get around to confirming it until 2019. That tells me someone's recording these things, okay? Then it's not confirmed to NASA until April of 2022. So here you have, eight years later before it's confirmed, that yeah, this thing came uh, from somewhere outside of our solar system. Loeb and his team also concluded that the meteor was tougher than all other 272 meters in NASA's Center for Near-Earth Object Studies catalog. Intrigued by this conclusion, he says, I established a team that designed a two-week expedition to search for the meteor fragments at a depth of 1.7 kilometers, so that's like a mile, on the ocean floor. Analyzing the composition of the fragments could allow us to determine whether the object is natural or artificial in origin, Loeb wrote in a post on Medium. We have a boat. We have a dream team, including some of the most experienced and qualified professionals in ocean expeditions. We have complete designs and manufacturing plans for the required sled, magnets, collection nets, and mass spectrometer. Then it goes on and talks a little bit about the plans. Now, in this next article, it kind of brings us up to date to just what's been going on here because uh, Avi Loeb does seem to be somebody who has the resources to get things done. Now, to uh, bring us up to date on you know what could be a UFO black box recovery, you could say, 
We go to this article from thedebrief.org, and this came out, let's see here, I believe just a couple days ago. Yeah, June 14th, 2023. It says, Diary of an Interstellar Journey, Part 4. This is the fourth in an ongoing series of updates from Harvard astronomer Avi Loeb, who heads the Galileo Project, documenting his team's expeditions to attempt the recovery of an interstellar object from the floor of the Pacific Ocean. This entry covers day five, June 15th, 2023 of the team's expedition. It begins by saying, after three hours of sleep, I woke up and I woke up to the grinding sound of the bow thruster, which helps our ship, Silver Star, to maneuver. I chose to stay awake during the night in the company of the stars overhead. By the time I reached the deck, the magnetic sled was lowered by the winch to the ocean floor in a control area of 1.7 kilometers depth, like I said, about a mile down at a distance of 30 kilometers from where the U.S. Department of Defense sensors detected the bright fireball of the first recognized interstellar meteor 1M1. Now think about that. The DOD detected this thing coming in, this meteorite. So that, that shows you they have 3D image of everything uh, coming into our skies from outer space, wherever. So when they give you this business about, uh, well, we can't show the video from the UFO shot down. Uh, well, we can't we can't confirm or deny this thing seen over Las Vegas was a meteorite. Uh, we don't know how close a miss this meteorite was. It's all nonsense. They have 360 on view of what's happening in our atmosphere all the time they were able to take him right to the exact spot where this thing landed at that should tell you the capabilities of uh, surveillance that your government has over the skies from what i can see it's 100 percent. he says i greeted the expedition coordinator by rob coordinator rob mccallan who was waiting patiently on the deck for what our interstellar hook might bring so they're out there in this boat, pretty good sized boat, it's almost, almost what you might call a ship, and they're dragging this sled. It looks like it's about, I don't know, a little taller than a man, maybe four foot wide or something. They're dragging this thing across the bottom of the ocean, okay? 1.7 clicks, what's that, like a mile down or something? That is a long, long way down. And they're able to do it with such precision that they do come up with some evidence. That should tell you the technology that our government has right now when it comes to locating stuff. So when they tell you that, oh, we can't find the wreckage over the Yukon or Alaska or Lake Huron, come on. While waiting, I headed to the upper level of the ship where the brilliant Ryan Weed and Jeff Wynn prepared the sample analysis instruments and procedures, including microscopes and X-ray fluorescent analyzer. Jeff enlarged his finger with one of the electronic microscopes. I promise that we will feature his finger on the mega display in Times Square, Manhattan, if it held a 1M1 fragment. The Galileo project is already featured there as evident from a new video that was taken today and can be viewed by clicking here and they give you the link. Yeah, this project definitely has some money behind it. They're definitely wanting to get uh, some of the uh, talk about this. If they're purchasing ad space in Times Square, I don't know, maybe he'll come up with a, with a made-for-TV documentary or something. Hey, whatever, great. And, and if this interstellar fragment would appear to be technolog technological, the image might also be presented to the Nobel Prize Committee, but let us not raise our expectations too high. For now, we are only testing the equipment. Then he says, after half an hour near the ocean floor, 
that magnetic sled was brought back up to the deck along with a video footage of its underwater journey. As soon as he saw the sled lifted by the winch from the upper floor window, Jeff rushed to the deck with a sample vial, but there were no magnetic particles trapped on the magnets. We checked the sled thoroughly and verified that nothing stuck to the magnets. This raised the question of whether the sled actually reached the bottom floor. To, our, to figure it out, our amazing instrumentalist, Bob Millsap, who designed the sleds, watched the video footage from the cameras on it. Yesterday, the sled did not reach the bottom, and so Rob added heavy lead to pull it down. Gladly, today's video confirmed that the sled touched the ocean floor for a few minutes. At the team meeting tomorrow morning, we will discuss ways to pull it stably over the surface. Originally, Bob was worried that it may take us a couple days to bring the sled to the operation, but we are almost there now and we'll have a bonus day for the search. For now, the lack of magnetic particles in the control region is good news as it implies that the bottom of the ocean is mostly made of mud. If the meteor fragments are magnetic, it will be simpler to separate them from this background. And then he goes on, he says, the team members on the deck included are Include, included our navigation coordinator, Art Wright, who was an 06 captain in the Vietnam War and led many successful expeditions after retiring from the Native, N Navy. He is a man of few words, but those words are often carried to him in his insight and wisdom. Then he goes on talks a little bit more about what they're looking for here. It says, Art told me that tomorrow we will visit another control sample and then go straight to the bullseye, the strip along which we expect to find meteor fragments based on the Manus Island seismometer signal from the fireball's blast wave. The small fragments were slowed down quickly by their friction with air as, de as deceleration scales with the area, and they had the largest area-to-mass ratio. As a result, we expect the smallest millimeter-scale particles to range straight down from the three flares of, of 1M1's fireball. So they've got this figured out. They know exactly where this... Uh, meteorite or whatever it was came in and they figured out from all the uh, data that provided i suppose by the dod uh, how much this thing weighed basically and where the the the, the mass of these uh, crash material would have landed at but bigger fragments are expected to move further along the meteor's original trajectory creating a strip of debris 1m1 was faster and lower in the atmosphere than typical meteors and so its strewn field should be narrower to find one M1 strip, I suggest to Art that we also search perpendicular to the DOD's error box as an efficient way of improving our chances of localizing the debris strip when we cross it. Art remains optimistic that we will find something. Now, that's kind of the setup for the search. Let's get specifically into exactly what they found in this next article. Okay, so I've explained to you about this meteorite that was seen, or UFO, whatever it was, crashing into the ocean off the coast of New Guinea back in 2014. Uh, Ave Loeb's role in tracking this thing down over a period of, you know, almost 10 years now. Uh, his thoughts that this could be uh, a UFO, that it's definitely interstellar. And now uh, we've gone through the setup where they've got this ship this one and a half million dollar expedition set up. They're testing out the sled. And finally, it seems like they did find something. Now, this article comes to us from avilobemedium.com. And he's talking about what's going on there. It says, and it's written by uh, Mr. Loeb himself. It says, an anomalous wire made of magnesium, of manganese and platinum in the Pacific Ocean site of the first interstellar meteorite. <laughs> a anomalous wire wire. Imagine that. 
they're literally looking for not just a needle in a haystack, but a needle in a million haystacks. And what do they find? A little piece of wire at the bottom of the ocean, a mile down. Just think of the odds of that. Now, this guy used uh, the, the uh, Department of Defense uh, statistics, I guess you would say, data that they tracked those things that came in. And uh, I guess there's a reason he's a PhD. He must be a pretty smart guy. They located what appears to be uh, the debris field from this thing. And they're not just finding little, uh, you know, bits of dust or pebbles or a chunk of a meteorite. They found a wire. And you can see a picture of it here. It looks so much like some of this other, you know, uh, anomalous uh, material that we find from these UFO encounters or crashes. He says, after our first run through the site of the first recognized interstellar meteor, we found plenty of volcanic dust on our magnetic sled containing tiny particles less than a tenth of a millimeter in size. I was able to remove them from the sled magnets with a painter's brush. We had only one suitable brush contributed by Jeff Wynn's wife, who was an artist. Rob, Mc, Rob McCallum ordered many more to be picked up in our next land visit. We did not anticipate this need, which illustrates the art of doing science. We thought that the harvest of 1M1's site yields the same materials as the control regions away from the site until we noticed a strange curled wire, which we now label 1S1-2 an abbreviation for the second unusual fragment from the first 1M run. So they found a couple things very strange that don't fit in here on top of one of the magnets. The fundamental question is, why was it not washed away by the ocean water as the sled was dragged by the ship, Silver Star? The most plausible explanation is that the volcanic magnetic particles held it in place like a magnet holding a piece of paper in place on a magnetic pad. Wow. He's got, he's got a picture of this thing here on top of a, I don't know, some kind of a container. It's just kind of sneaking across it. He says the wire is eight millimeters long and curved twice with a rigid structure. What is it made of? It has a picture of him with it. This thing's not very long. I don't know. Not even an inch. I don't know. Eight millimeters. You have to look it up. Today, Ryan Weed and Jeff Wynn analyzed in detail this unexpected wire and concluded that its composition is anomalous, is anomalous, compared to human-made alloys. For the composition analysis, Ryan used the X-ray Florence analyzer manufactured by Bruker, whose CEO, Frank Luckin, co-founded with me the Galileo Project. Ryan concluded that the 1S1-2 has two composition peaks at manganese and, pl and platinum, abbreviated as MN and PT in the periodic tables. American Elements list MNPT alloys with a molecular weight of 250.02 in many forms, including wires. So I guess they're saying this stuff could form naturally. That's weird. Jeff noted that MNPT are mostly pl platinum and used for non-coding electrodes in laboratories. However, IS-1-2 is, is very different in the relative composition of MN and PT from these electrodes. The, the American Elements website says mag magnanese a plutonium magnanese platinum rather alloy is available as disc granules ignite pellets powder rod wire foil and sputtering target ultra high purity and high purity forms also include metal powder submicron powder and nanoscale quantum dots targets 
for thin film, deposition pellets for evaporation, and single crystal or polycrystalline forms. Elements can also be introduced into alloys or other systems as compounds such as fluorides, oxides, and chlorides, or as solutions. And then he has a list here of all the different uh, scientific properties. He says, this constitutes the first anomaly found at the 1M1 crash site. I was worried about possible contamination from the ship deck. A member of the expedition crew swiped the floor of the Silver Stars deck with magnets and brought the results to me. There was nothing there that looked like 1S1-2. We are expecting to get our second sample tonight. I plan to stay awake until my morning jog at sunrise. By then, I hope to know whether the recognized interstellar object from our cosmic neighborhood, 1M1, carried materials that are anomalous relative to what we find in our backyard around the sun, and most importantly, I wish to know whether it was manufactured technologically by another civilization. And then he says he'll get back with this later. So that's interesting. Uh, like I said, I'll put a link. So what they found is this strange-looking anomalous wire, I guess. I guess the thing will be when they bring this back to the lab and examine it to determine if this thing is uh, possibly just a natural product or if this was something that was intelligently designed and made. I don't think we'll be able to know that until they really get this thing in the, in, into the laboratory and take a closer look at it. But I find this fascinating that finally somebody is actually searching for the UFO black box that we all think is out there somewhere. I mean, at least a lot of us do. And maybe this isn't a black box in the way that we think of a black box, but this could be the first thing that represents the closest thing that we have to a UFO black box. We will keep you posted on this. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.